The text for the sermon this evening is taken from John chapter 18, which you heard a little bit ago. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me get this part out of the way. You are not in control. Did you know that? You're really, we like to convince ourselves that you, we are in control, or we like to convince ourselves that other people are in control, but it is an illusion. It's something that we try to convince ourselves, but it's simply not true. I'll give you an example. A few years ago in Taiwan, there was a sperm whale that shored up onto the beach dead. And so this 66-ton animal was lying on the beach, and they wanted to test to see why it died. Now, obviously, your average pickup truck is not going to be able to take care of that. And so they had to get a whole bunch of people, a bunch of cranes, to get it on the back, on the flatbed of a semi. And everything seems to be going swimmingly. And so they drive the truck through the city, and all of a sudden, poof! The whale exploded. Guts were everywhere, flying out to all the different people that were watching because they wanted to see a whale going through town. And apparently the stink in the city did not go away for months. And by the way, this does actually happen to whales regularly. When they die, gases fill up in their bodies and they explode, but normally they're in the ocean when that happens, not in the middle of the city. People, these guys all thought they had everything under control, and they were wrong. We like to convince ourselves that we can control things. If you want a good example, I don't know if you realize this, but two years ago today was the day, the first full day of all of us in shutdown mode. Two years ago, I remember that, yes, two years ago yesterday, we had church that morning, and then later in the evening, we found out that everything was getting shut down. And we were told that we had two weeks to flatten the curve. How that work? Now, we could debate about a whole number of things over the last two years, but there was a part of us that we thought that we could control it. Our, we thought our leaders could control it, or somebody could keep everything under control. But when you're dealing with a situation as we did, with a virus, it's abundantly clear you are not in control. And we should probably know that about viruses by now. I don't know about you, but I never schedule when I get sick. It usually makes the schedule for me. You are not in control. Our gospel lesson. Jesus had just got done praying. He had prayed that if this cup would, could pass from him, may it be so. But not your will, but my will. Not my will, but your will be done. 
he prayed to the Father. His disciples could not keep awake, so, but he did find them asleep. And as they were sleeping, the battalion of soldiers, the guards, came, led by Judas. And the reason they needed Judas was because back then, if they wanted to see a picture of Jesus, they could not go on Facebook and find Jesus' profile. Which, by the way, actually there is a Jesus profile somebody's created. But you could not do it back then. Nobody knew what he looked like. And so they needed someone to point him out. Judas was that man. And he could have just said, hey, that's the guy right there. The one right over there. That's Jesus. But he didn't. He chose to betray him with a kiss. A universal sign of love and affection and friendship. He used it to identify Jesus. Jesus, knowing all that would happen, it says, came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Note, he doesn't escape. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. No doubt when he said, I am he, he was invoking an image of Moses visiting God in the burning bush. And the burning bush said, I am who I am. So when Jesus said, I am he, he is definitely invoking that image, a phrase that he actually uses earlier in the Gospel of John. We said, before Abraham was, I am. And they said, Jesus and Nazareth, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. This detail is included in all of the Gospels, but it's only in John that we know who swung the sword, and it's in John that we know who he hit. We know the name of him. Now, Peter is a fisherman. He is not trained with a sword. His goal is to kill Malchus. But because he's not very good, he sliced off an ear. Jesus told him to put the sword away, to put it in its sheath. Why? Because Jesus says it in the Gospel of Matthew. Whoever lives by the sword shall die by the sword. Basically, he's telling Peter, if you go try, if you continue this fight, they are going to kill you. Jesus is saving Peter. Because Peter is not meant to die at that moment. Jesus knows when Peter's going to die, but it's not there. So he tells him to put the sword away. The Gospel of Luke gives the wonderful detail that Jesus touched the ear of Malchus and healed it. This is an incredible miracle when you think about it. 
Think about everything that Jesus is going to do in the next few hours. He knows, in fact, he, was, he just got to praying an agonizing prayer. And the Gospel of Luke, it tells us that he was so distressed that he began to sweat drops of blood. Which is actually, a me- there's a medical term for that. It's hematidrosis, I believe that's how you pronounce it. But it literally means, literally, it's when your blood will come out of your sweat glands. Because you got so stressed that the blood, the blood vessels burst and they mixed into your sweat glands. So this is actually medically possible to happen. And so Jesus was under such stress because he knew the incredible amount of suffering he was about to endure. And he knew that he was carrying the sins of the world, every last one of them. And yet he takes the time to heal Malchus. Why would he do this? Why do this for Malchus? Well, there's two things you get out of this. Two reasons. One, again, he is protecting Peter because he just took a swing at a man carrying out a duty of the government. And as you know, throughout the history generally, if you try to kill a, a, ser- a soldier or servant of the government, guess what? It's like taking a swing at Caesar himself. So Peter could be executed. But when the, the ear is healed, there's not much evidence. Can you imagine that trial? Like, yeah, he sliced that Valka's ear. They're like, I see his ear. It's right there. But he cut it off. I, Jesus healed him. You mean the guy that we're trying to persecute? We'll just let that trial go. It would be really hard to prosecute Jesus, but Peter, when the evidence has been restored. But the other reason is it is an act of compassion towards Malchus. He's showing care for Malchus. He made sure that he, even though this pain and the loss of his ear, he made sure it was temporary. Showing that Jesus loves even those whom came to arrest him. And really, if you think about that moment, how freaky the had to have been for Malchus, that he sees his old ear on the ground and now he's got a new one that Jesus just made there. And you're wondering, how could Jesus do that? Well, he, create, he spoke ears into existence in the first place. So that's... It's, probably, it's actually an easy job for him. But the thing is, in all of this, the soldiers, they thought they had everything under control. They had Judas. They knew that they were going to get Jesus. And they found him. And as soon as Peter pulled out that sword, they lost control. But you know who was still in control? Jesus was. He calmly told Peter, put that sword away. He calmly healed Malchus. And when they decided to arrest him, he didn't resist it. He didn't say, no way. He willingly handed himself over. 
Peter was convinced that he could take control. When Jesus was being arrested, when he pulled out that sword, that was his attempt to take control of everything. And it did not work. Jesus is the only one in control. It's actually very reflective of what John writes. Well, it records Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. No one takes it from him. He lays it down willingly. Which, by the way, that gives away... I don't know if you've ever heard the accusation of divine child abuse, where they tried to attack that Jesus died for your sins. Certain members of the church, certain church bodies. Jesus was not helpless. He was in control. He knew everything that was going to happen. And he did not resist. He was a calm, innocent lamb being led away to slaughter. He did not fight. He went. And the thing is, in our lives, in our world, we are so wanting to be in control. Whatever chaos in our life, we want to be in control. A couple days ago, so in case you don't know, I'm a pro wrestling fan. If you go into my office, you can see WWE title belts. No, I did not win them. Sometimes people ask me that. I'm like, do I look like a pro wrestler? Um, maybe I do, I don't know. <laughs> but, but the thing is, a couple days ago, there's a pro wrestler named Scott Hall. He used to be known as Razor Ramon. He died of a, he had a triple heart attack, and he died. In, the, in a little post by one of his best friends, Kevin Nash, who was another pro wrestler, he wrote this little line about Scott Hall that he said, thinking on his deathbed, I don't think I'm going to be good enough to get into heaven. And if you, if you need those who are wrestling fans, they know about Scott Hall's past. It was not a good one. He was a man that was very self-destructive. And the thing is, it's an example of how we tried to take control. We are so convinced that we can or we have to take control of our own sinfulness, of our own wretchedness. We try to convince ourselves that if I just do enough, I could make it even. But what if you dig that hole too deep? And by the way, all of us actually have that hole too deep. But what if we actually know it? We're actually aware that we have dug a hole too deep in our sin. What if we actually are aware that we are, our head, we are head deep underwater, drowning in our sin, and you don't have enough buckets or spoons to dig out the water? We are convinced that we can get control of it. How many people, when you ask them, where will you go when you die? And they'll say, well, I, I think, I hope I'll go to heaven. 
hoping that they're good enough. A lot of funerals end up playing out that way. When you go to the funeral, the sermon ends up being about all the good things the person did. Which that's good to mention every now and then. To talk about how their example of their Christian living. But when it becomes the entire sermon, it ends up being, see, this is why we know they're saved. Because look at all the good things they did. And you in the pew are sitting there making a mental check. Am I good enough? Do I measure up? How do I compare to this person? I need to know if I have this under control. You can't control your sin. You keep, the reality is you're not scooping up water to dig yourself out with a bucket. The reality is, is you're actually taking the bucket and getting more water to bake it deeper and deeper. You are helpless in your salvation. One of the neat things in that story about Scott Hall was even though he knew he worried about his, he wouldn't make it, there's one little line he says, but I know only one was ever perfect. And they nailed him to a cross. And see, that's who is in control. Jesus is in control. He is in control during this arrest. And by the way, the devil, he's convinced he's in control. He appointed Judas to betray Jesus. He thinks that he could kill the Christ and thwart the plans of God the Father. But he can't. Jesus goes willingly. When they ask him, are you the Christ? Before the Sanhedrin, he doesn't, he doesn't deny it. He says, I am, and from now on you will see me descending on the clouds of heaven. When he stood before Pilate, he could have convinced Pilate to let him go. He stood silent, in control. And he went to the cross. He was nailed. He died, and he could have at any moment called a ten legions of angels to his rescue, and he didn't. He willingly allowed himself to die. And he died when he died by his own control, his own design. And it was by his own control, his own design, that when they came to the tomb on Sunday morning and they found the body, that the body was missing, the tomb was empty, it was by his design that he had risen from the dead. And it was by his design that he went through all this. As he told them. He told his disciples over and over again, I will be crucified. I will die. I will be buried. And I will on the third day rise. Even though he told them multiple times they didn't get it. They didn't really get it until Pentecost pretty much. Took them, they're really slow learners. And so would we. If somebody told us, hey, I'm going to be crucified and rise from the dead, we'd be like, yeah, right. We would have had, or we would ignore it, just like the disciples did. But he knew it was going to happen, because, and he went willingly because by his death, he brings life. By his death, he brings a satisfaction for your sin, which you cannot. You can't control your sin. You cannot control what God demands, but he did. 
He made full satisfaction for all of it. He made full satisfaction for all of your sin, for all of your guilt. He is the one who is in control. And he is the one that calls us to look to him, to trust in him, to rely in him. When we have whales that explode, not literally, hopefully, but if you have, when you have those moments, look to him to trust, to hope in, to rely in. No one else. Not yourself. Not your best friends. Not the government. I don't know why we still go to that one, but not the government. Christ. Now, does Christ work through our, to our, through our family? Does he work through our friends? Does he work through the government? Does he work through doctors? He works through one another? He works through you? Yes, he does. But you're, ultimately, you don't trust in us. You trust in Christ working through you. Trust that he will do the work through you to accomplish what he has. And remember, he works for the good of all whom he has called. All whom he has chosen. Fear not. He, he loved Malchus. Preserved his ear. He kept Peter safe. And by his death, he gives you life. Look to him. Trust in him. Because he is in control. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, mercy, and our peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.